We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. What's up, Jack? Nets are in the United States, Nick. We're staying there. Yes, and you're staying in the U.S. right now, so that's well, awesome. All right, cool. <laughs> you know, you're going to give me a face, man? I'll, I'll, I'll kick around. Yeah, we got we got to keep you here, Jack. Uh, you can hide in my closet. We got to do things like that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Nets pull off the W tonight, 109-100. You know, another game, getting revenge on a team they blew a game to earlier in the season. It felt good. You know how they say about a lot of sort of you know, more accomplished teams, so to speak, like the Pacers and the Clippers, that they go, you know, these guys just have a heap of guys who know how to play basketball and know how to do the right things. The Nets are becoming one of those teams. And I think if we continue to solidify ourselves in the playoff race, I think we're eventually going to get that attention from, you know, the media outside of guys just in the Brooklyn Buzz, Nets Republic, OTG Basketball, those sort of places. Oh, definitely. And it feels that way too, because even watching this game in the first quarter, the starters came out a little bit cold, a little bit disengaged, and it felt good knowing you could bring the bench in and they could change the game. And they did that tonight. Yeah, nice little spark from the bench. You know, Trevion Graham, uh, Tamari Carroll especially, one of his best games as a Brooklyn net. Six of nine from the field, five of seven from three. You know, hearing him in the post-game press, like that lovely southern Alabama twang that he's got. <laughs> I, just, I, love, I could literally listen to Tamari Carroll on, like, just repeat, like, reading me bedtime stories. If you want to jump on the pod, Damari, we'd love to just listen to you speak, mate. Um, hit us up. Hit, hit us up in the DMs. But, yeah, he had one of his best games as a Brooklyn Net. You know, it was nailing threes left, right, and center. He was Fuego. Uh, and it was just a really good team performance. And I think, yeah, the second unit sparked us. And then D'Angelo Russell continued his consistency. Second straight 2010 game. Um, he's doing some really nice things. And another really dazzling pass. It was, it was a good night for the Nets. That third quarter especially was just... Um, it, it was hard to keep up with all the highlights. Yeah, and it was just a great team effort, like you said. Before we dive any deeper, just a quick reminder, you can check out the buzz, iTunes, Block Talk Radio, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. But, Jack, you're right. Third quarter, put up 33 points, able to close it out in that fourth quarter. I felt like they made some good adjustments, and they just picked up the energy more in the second half. 
Yeah, it was a really back and forth sort of game. You know, the the Grizzlies like to sort of grind things out, sort of slow the game down. And uh, before the game, a lot of the Nets guys are saying they want to sort of keep their pace, keep the ball moving. So it was a sort of clash of styles, so to speak. And at times, you know, the Nets turnovers were were creeping up. It was wasn't pretty to watch at times. Posted a, a few uh, obligatory uh, bird box memes as you got to when you run <laughs> when you're holding down a social media page. But, you know, they got things going. They made the right plays at the right times. And there was just some really nice energy plays that sort of got the guys going, you know. Whether it was a Rodion's dunk where he got a stupid, dumb tech from the from the <laughs> referees. I don't know what that was about because Jaron Jackson did it to him. But there was just, you know, for them to get this this started on our um, away, away streak, you know, going into Chicago and then Boston, it's good to get things going. And, and New Year, same Nets. I think I mentioned that last time. But, yeah, we're going to keep on winning. Definitely to build on the road trip, get the first win on the road. You know, obviously Chicago, hopefully they can take care of business. Boston's going to be a big test. But overall, you know, the team just performed. It's nice to have so many different guys. You know, just looking at the stat sheet, D'Angelo with 23, Damari 20, Joe Harris 18, Dinwiddie 13, Jared Allen 12, Shabazz 10. Just a lot of different guys contributing in different aspects of the game. And you really like that Rodion stunk, like you said, you know, throwing it down. Jaron Jackson, I don't care about the stare down, but just getting plays like that with the energy and talking about energy, I felt like Jared Allen had some extra juice tonight. Oh, man, those dunks, those blocks. It feels like he's got this little bit of ego about him that I sort of like mm-hmm. now. He knows he's good, and he's going to go out there, and he's going to like make a play on you, whether it's a, a ridiculous dunk with the arms that are like Giannis-like or it's a block where you know it's going to happen and you'd better be wary of wary of it. So he's sort of starting to solidify himself, starting to realize that, you know, he's no longer just this guy growing into his own, but he's making an impact and he wants to make it on, on more than one occasion. And that third quarter for me, he was really key. Uh, Joe Harris was as well. But, you know, defensive plays on both ends of the floor, it's just, uh, it can be a little bit disheartening uh, for me as a fan because it happened um, in the Pelicans game as well where, Jared Allen will get a block and no one's backing him up. And the sort of highlight becomes negligent or negligible because, you know, the, the guy just picks it up and gets the, the putback rebound or something because no one's boxing out. But, yeah, Jared Allen has been killing it of late and he's making impact and getting double-doubles like it's, uh, like it's in his sleep. Yeah, and the one positive, too, is, you know, keep getting all these highlight dunks. NBA players watch highlights. They're going to see what happens. They're going to be scared to go in the paint. He's definitely having an impact. And like you mentioned, that poster on uh, Jermichael Green was huge. It just kind of energized the team. And I can kind of see that ego thing you were talking about. You can see him get a little bit more frustrated, a little bit more emotion this season than any time we saw last season. Yeah, definitely. He can also... I mean, at the same time, it's part of his nature to just go, you know, in the post games, you know, it's just what I do. I, I block guys. He's not going to be rah-rah James Harden about it. And there's nothing wrong with, with either approach to it. But, you know, his his play is just impacting the Nets in so many positive ways. It sort of seeps through the roster, uh, whether it's, you know, Rodion's sort of what we've been talking about, Shabazz as well. You know, it, it's, a re- it's the reason why the Nets since December 7 have been 11-3 and three and second best in the East behind only the Pacers. Yeah, it, they've looked like a really good team. Like, it's not like they've looked like a pretty good team. They look like a really good team over this stretch, finishing out games, just having the full depth across the board. And, you know, something that we saw a little bit more, especially in the Pelican game firsthand, and tonight we saw more of that three-guard lineup. And that's something that Kenny's kind of experimenting with, but it's also something he probably wasn't able to do last season without the depth that Sean Marks provided this year. 
Yeah, I think D'Lo was like New Year, New Kenny, jokingly. <laughs> I love that quote. I love that quote. Um, but at the same time, I think the experimentation that we've asked and advocated for, for Kenny, he's starting to do a bit more of. And the way he's reading the game, and, you know, we sort of saw that out of timeout play with him. We've got the sort of open layup. You know, he's becoming a, a very smart coach uh, in, before our eyes. And, yeah, I think the three-guard lineup is something that works really well within our system guys that can create their own shot, guys that can move the ball, guys that can pass, guys that can find open guys, you know, Spencer. They've all got Spencer and Dealer have size about them. And Shabazz is just playing so well right now that he's he's warranting, you know, minutes. You can't take him off the floor. You can't not play him. And I think if the right matchup's there, you're going to continue to see Shabazz playing because he's playing some very, very good basketball. He's season best streak of games, scoring in double figures four times now. So he's doing great things. In seven free throw attempts tonight for Shabazz, which I always think is important getting to the free throw line. And that's been something the Nets have done over the last month. But also, I think you mentioned size. Having D'Angelo and Spencer Dinwiddie, both bigger guards, can really defend some twos and threes. So it's not even like they're outmatched. And also, I like the fact that all three guys can shoot the three ball. And it kind of still provides that spacing. But let's kind of break into D'Angelo's game a little bit. You know, it started off a little rough, some bad passes, maybe questionable shot selection. But he really got into his own in that late second quarter. Got to the free throw line six times tonight, which is probably... I think the season high for him, I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's what I love, Nick. I, I mentioned it when I was holding down the Nets Republic page, just sort of the fact that we could see he was playing with some purpose. He was able to read the game in a different way. And despite the fact that, you know, you have a guys like Jaron Jackson and Marcus Gasol who are very, very capable defensive players, you know, it didn't necessarily hold a fear from D'Angelo Russell. And the fact that he was able to make all six of his free throws as well, you know, him, Shabazz and Dinwiddie combined for... 19 free throws on the night beautiful you're going to get that from your guards on day in day out then you know you're more than likely going to win a lot of games and you know between all of them spencer just missed one of them that was all so it was uh one of those nights where we sort of i, I talked a little bit about the the nets sort of getting bullied in the paint a little bit but by the end of it the nets were just you know driving it well and they were able to sort of take advantage of times when jb big stuff's lineups were left a little bit to be to be desired where he would have you know, Conley, Gasol, and Jackson all off the floor. And you had just a guy like a Jermichael Green out there. And it's just like, well, take advantage of it. And the Nets did. Um, and I think, you know, another good team performance. And, you know, Trevion Graham, nice little uh, first game for him. You know, getting a little bit of a floater, showing some good energy. Yeah, good ball movement, too, from Trevion Graham. A little bit of toughness. We saw him on Jaron Jackson a little bit, too. I like what he brings. He even got some fourth quarter minutes, which I thought was kind of surprising, considering, you know, Kenny's been somewhat stingy, I guess, with those fourth quarter minutes. So something to keep an eye on moving forward. Just to touch on D'Angelo, is this the first time he had back-to-back double-doubles this season? Yes, it is. And I think it's the first time since Deron Williams, I think. I saw one of the Nets PR tweeters. I think it was Nets Republic tweet out. Yeah, well, that's impressive. And he definitely, and he felt like you kind of had to feel for the game. It even felt like at points in the second half that Memphis was doing everything they could to prevent the ball from getting back to his hands. Yeah, and it it seemed like he was just a little more spry than normal, whether it was because... Mike Conley, Mike Conley, Ohio State guys. That's what I think as well. And I, this is sort of off cuff a little bit, Nick, but do you think that D'Angelo Russell has a ceiling of a Mike Conley guy, you know, uh, a sort of fringe all-star consistently player uh, i know a lot of guys are really high on d'angelo russell i've been high but i've also been low on him but if he continues to be as consistent as he has been lately when he's sort of you know getting into his groove then i don't see any reason why not because mike conley is one of the more consistent underrated players in the league you know probably if he was in the eastern conference he'd have a, a couple of all-star appearances but what are your thoughts 
Yeah, I, what you just said right there, Jack, the fact that if Conley was probably in the East, he'd probably be an all-star multiple times. So I think D'Angelo's got a similar ceiling. I don't think their games are very similar, though, because no. Conley's a, a lot better defensively. But I would say D'Angelo's probably has better passing than him. Scoring-wise, they're pretty e- even. But I think Conley can kind of slither to the hoop a little bit more. But we saw D'Angelo attack tonight, and it was like he – he timed it perfectly. We know he's not super athletic, but when he kind of uses those steps and changes pace correctly, he can get himself open shots in the paint. Yeah, I think that's what he needs to do. We've sort of talked, I've sort of talked about, and I've mentioned at times, I've been critical of him, but that's only because I know the potential that he has. And he has to make up for his lack of speed and athleticism with his timing, with his craftiness, with his size. And for the most part of his career, he hasn't. But again, he's only 22 years old. So if he's going to have more games like... Otherwise. Of course, of course. So, I mean, I'm going to be looking for games where he's having, you know, four, three, four free throw attempts, and we'll say that five times, geez. <laughs> um, but to have seven, six free throw attempts, for me, that's the number one stat from this night. Despite the fact, you know, 23, 10, and four, and another steal as well. Uh, four turnovers isn't, isn't amazing. But again, it seemed like those turnovers came when... Yeah, and a lot of other turnovers were sort of happening. It was just a, a bit of a sloppy sort of start from from all of the nets. So I, I sort of discredit that a little bit, but he has been taking care of the ball a lot better of late. Yeah, and I felt like they were turnovers where he could easily clean them up. A couple of them were he was trying to thread a needle for a pass against a good defense where it doesn't always work. One play that really stuck out that I loved, and also I just tweeted out some stats yesterday about hustle stats where D'Angelo actually leads the nets in deflections and loose balls are covered. We saw that again tonight. You know, he had a ball poked out. Yeah. And he- over on the ground, got it, threw it back to Ed Davis. Yeah, I love that play from D'Angelo. And the fact that he was able to get there quick enough, I, I was like in my head, I'm like, Dealer's not going to get this. He, he doesn't have the quickness to get there. But he just dived for it, and he used his sort of size to just be able to get that out. And, you know, we, we love the passes, but it, it's those sort of plays that are going to take him from being, you know, having a, a pretty high ceiling to having, you know, an even higher ceiling than what he already has. But you know, D'Angelo Russell, 36 minutes. The next highest was Joe Harris at 29. So, for all the sort of D'Lo haters or the Kenny haters out there that say, you know, D'Angelo isn't playing enough uh, down the stretch, tonight was the night where that was proven. And uh, I think Coach Kenny's approach with D'Lo uh, throughout the season has sort of is starting to pay off somewhat because I've sort of mentioned, and I'm going to continue to mention, when D'Angelo impacts winning basketball, that's when it's going to happen for him. And that's when he's going to be able to garner those minutes. And right now he's earning them and he's deserving to be out there because he's not a liability on either end. Yeah, and I felt like it really said something that he took Damari out of the game and put D'Angelo in, even though Damari was playing well, that he had confidence in him. And like you said, getting the 36 minutes is big. It's probably one of his higher minute totals, not including any overtime games this year. So happy for him. And you saw a lot of improvement. And sometimes it feels like we're almost overanalyzing him, but because he has so much potential, he's a young piece and he's so interesting. You know, we kind of almost look at him from every aspect where there's good, there's bad. But we have to remember he's still, you know, pretty much a young kid. You can't help but not overanalyze him because yeah. we have so much hope invested in this guy. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie is, you know, a, a sixth man, one of the best six men in the league. But D'Angelo Russell has the hopes of this franchise and the fans on his back. You know, he's the most marketable player. He's the guy that sells the most jerseys. He's the guy that sells all the merch. He's the guy that wears the sweet shooting sleeves, has the cool hair, the slick headband, and makes all the sweet passes. So you can't help but overanalyze him. But you know, you have to take the good with the bad when it comes to D'Angelo Russell performances. Again, like you mentioned, Nick, 22 years old in three years' time, you know, 
even at the end of this season, where we whether we decide to re-sign him or not, uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch him grow into uh, a man and a basketballer in this uh, league because he's certainly proving himself against some pretty steady performers against the, the Pelicans and the Grizzlies of late that he has a place as a, a, a bona fide starter and, you know, a, a fringe all-star. Like, I'd love to, like, sort of look up his numbers in comparison to a guy like Ben Simmons. Now, box score stats don't mean a lot. Or even, like, Kyle Lowry and Kem- Kemba Walker of late, who sort of dropped off. But, you know, he's certainly maybe not in the conversation, but, you know, he's probably in, like, the, the group combos, the group chats. Yeah, he's somebody who's going to – he's kind of like a secondary thought. But uh, I really like what I've seen from him, and hopefully he can kind of continue to build off it. But talking about one of the older guys on the team, Damari, we mentioned huge game tonight, 20 points, 6 and 9 from the field, 5 of 7 from 3, three free throws, you know, five rebounds, one assist, no turnovers. And he brought some grit, got into it with Jermichael Green uh, in that third quarter as well. What would you like from Damari tonight? Everything, Nick. Absolutely everything. <laughs> we liked Damari, before, too, against New Orleans. I mean, I can't. you can't help but not like what Damari has been doing. You know, this has been one of his best stretches, and I, I put out on the Nets Republic when I was holding it down. He wants that starter spot back. You know, Michael Grady was speaking to him before the game, sort of saying how he sort of adjusted to the new role. Uh, he's had... You know, some minor adjustments and some sort of toughness in, in, in some aspects. But you could sort of, you know, point to a guy like Spencer Dimity sort of in a sort of similar vein and the way that he's adjusted and towards the end of the season, how he did pretty well in adjusting. I think Damari is doing it better. Uh, and in terms of the fact that he's making an impact, you know, in his past five games, averaging nearly 17 points, uh, nearly six rebounds, 2.4 assists on 53-50 and 75 shooting splits. That's fire. Uh, our boy Eric Eric Spiropoulos uh, at Eric Spir- Spiros NBA. So he's uh, he's been on a tear of late, and I think you know over Dudley. Then I, I think we're more than likely to see Damari starting because I think he just fits better, and he, he looks to have his legs, and he's uh, looks to be a little more aggressive. But that's not to say that you can't interchange those uh, intertwine or interchange whatever the word is uh, those two guys uh, at will. Yeah, it feels like Damari's starting to get a little bit of his defense back, where I felt like some of his legs early in the season, it wasn't necessarily there, and he wasn't as much of an asset versatility-wise, where you can kind of see him switch on to different guys now. He also drew a charge in the game. That's something, looking up stats yesterday, the Nets didn't have a ton of charges. So if he can come in there and just do some of those small, gritty things, it really can change the game. So another nice performance from him. And like you said, he's really been great as, uh, great of late. What about your boy, Joe Harris? I mean, how many things, good things can I say about Joe Harris? I'm literally watching the Yes post game and, and I'm struggling not to rip out, rip out my headphones and just yell <laughs> at how much I love him, Nicholas, because he's just a gorgeous man. His beard is just increasing his powers. You know, he's, Imagine he's, that's the real, that's the truth. <laughs> he's, he's Samson-like in the way that he's playing right now. You know, for those that don't know, Samson had the power through his hair. Uh, read a Bible, guys. Uh, but <laughs> Joe Harris is just a, a marvel to watch, you know. He just nails threes. And I think the synergy that he's developing with his guards, he is so appreciative of them. And because we have such good passes, and I think these three-guard lineups are starting to sort of impact him as well because he's getting such great looks. And I think, I believe he's three-point percentage, if I'm not mistaken, Nick. Is it that right? Seth Curry? Uh, yeah, he's second behind Seth Curry. And so. he's had over 100 more attempts, mind you. So, and he was um, six in effective field goal percentage. So he's like one net that's been in like two top 10 categories. And mind you, uh, I will repeat myself on every buzz until <laughs> February 13 or whatever the three-point contest is. Uh, if Joe Harris doesn't make the three-point contest, we riot. And if Rodion's Kuritz and Jared Allen don't make the Rising Stars Challenge, we might start a little bit of a scuffle too. 
<laughs> yeah, we'll give him a little bit of attitude. At least one of the two. You know, I, I would be surprised if both got in, but at least Jared Allen, I think he will, just because of all the attention he's gotten for the big blocks. But Joe Harris, I just also love the chemistry he's developing with Jared Allen. I think they connected for two or three dunks tonight. Yeah, uh, just a little wraparound pass at the download stuff, the putbacks. Jared Allen just knows how to read um, our guy's shots, and, and I think he's doing that really well, getting some easy buckets with it. And we know how good Joe Harris is at driving. You know, we talked about his driving percentage last season being one of the best in the league, if not the best in the league, and he just takes all the right shots. He's the perfect sort of guy, uh, the sort of perfect prototypical guard slash wing slash utility that every team wants. And uh, one of our guys, Bruce Jones, was sort of tweeting out some replies of his own where a guy was criticizing Joe Harris about the fact that he was on an inflated contract. He wouldn't do anything on a good team. And uh, he got blocked because uh, Joe Harris was, you know, uh, Bruce was uh, keeping the receipts. So uh, for those that are, you know, uh, tweeting bad about my boy, you know where to find me at the JMNJBT. Uh, we will have a talk, my friends. Yeah, they'll have a talk with Jack. He's in the United States, so he can handle it, you know, in person right now. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But, uh, Jack, tell me how you felt when uh, he got swiped at by Jaron Jackson and they did not call it flagrant. Um, well, I'm glad that I didn't get kicked out of the hotel, Nick, because <laughs> I did yell some profanities. Um, we will put it at that. I will not repeat them uh, live on air. Not that this is live, obviously. Um, but <laughs> at, the, at the same time, I, I was a little bit angry at the same time. You know the Rodion, the Rodion's one as well. Like I don't understand. Review. I don't understand that. It's just like just because Marcus Hall puts up his hand, apparently that means that's fine. So that discredits the NBA rules of some sort, I guess. Uh, but you know the Nets are just uh, uh, they're good enough and measured enough to get beyond you know those sort of shitty calls, which have sort of plagued us for seasons because you know we don't get no respect. We don't get any respect on our name to uh, quote who have who actually <laughs> came up with that. Man. Bird but, there we go. There we go. Um, Got to spell but, it R E S. Like P E C K, isn't it? Yeah, something crazy, something like that. But um, the Nets are playing well. The refs uh, aren't recognize it um, at, at enough. So, but yeah, heading into Chicago, we're doing all the right things, and I do like the fact that Rodion's didn't get a heap of minutes, but still was able to do a couple of good things. You know, he had a couple of shots blocked, and he backed it up on the other end. But I, I like the fact that you know a lot of probably fans are clamoring like, oh, why did he only get less than 15 minutes? Why did this player get... Well, he wasn't that good tonight. And guys like Damari Carroll, to a lesser extent, Jared Dudley, Travion Graham, these guys probably deserved more minutes than him because they were playing better defense on that end. And at times, he was a little bit of a liability. But, you know, we still see the highlight plays from Rodion's that, you know, warrant him getting minutes no matter what. Yeah, I was actually surprised we didn't see a little bit of Rodion's on Jaron Jackson at certain points because Dudley struggled a little bit. So I would have been more impressed to see that. I think Kenny was probably a little frustrated because there was a couple times where he elected to shoot the three and it got blocked. But he could have just put the ball on the ground and, you know, drove to the rim. We saw him do that a couple times, and that's how he got that big dunk. Yeah, I think a lot of the times he's going to probably – I think he's starting to still learn the athleticism of these guys in the NBA. Sure. He's barely played 20 games, if that. And he's starting to realize, oh, okay, so these guys are pretty long. You know, Jaron Jackson has some pretty long arms and he's one of the best young defenders in the league and is already an elite defender on that end. So he's got to, I think he's going to develop a little bit of a pump fake game. 
And I think that could probably... feel, like you said, Jack, just a feel for the different players and being international. I'm sure he hasn't watched a ton of NBA basketball to really have great scouting report and all these guys. Not at all. Not at all. And I think, you know, that only comes with experience. And I think he's only going to get better for it. And, you know, he's still, you know, only a kid. Him and Jared Allen are our two youngest players. And they're still making an impact on a playoff bound team at this stage. Yeah, anybody else you want to give a, a little shout-out to or break down their game? I thought Spencer was okay, nothing amazing. He kind of looks like he's in a little bit of a slump, but I still think he provided some good value. He was still plus 17 on the night. So when he didn't help change that game, like that bench unit, him and Ed Davis and DeMar and Carroll, I felt like we didn't have them coming in that first quarter. This game could have got out of hand. No, not at all. And I think that a lot of credit needs to go to Spencer. You know, we've, we mention it all the time, the fact that he doesn't really have bad games. He had a, a mini bad stretch before the new year. But again, you know, that's because the Nets have played an, an inordinate amount of games. So uh, I think all the guys on, on from, you know, Jared Dudley down on it, I think Jared Dudley's 26 minutes was probably a little bit too much. I probably would have rather have given, you know, maybe an extra five to, to a guy like Damari Carroll and a couple of minutes to a guy like Trevion Graham, who I thought played a little bit better defense. But at the same time, you know, the Nets got the win, so I'm nitpicking. Yeah, and I feel like Dudley still does some of the small things, but I think Trevion Graham's going to probably take some of those minutes because we've seen him play mostly at the four. Rodion's could obviously get some of those minutes. I think if Dudley's going to end up kind of getting closer to our predictions early in the year where we said probably something closer to like 10 or under. Yeah, I mean, in 26 minutes, he had a rebound and a steal and a turnover. So not exactly the most flashy scoreline out of of all, but at the, <laughs> at, at the same time, he did some okay things that didn't show up in the box score. But yeah, like you mentioned, I think the addition of Trevion Graham is going to be able to alleviate the load from him and Trevion Graham will only get better for the run. But at the same time, you know, Jared Dudley's three ball, I'm probably a little more confident in right now than Trevion yeah. Graham. So uh, I think it's going to be uh, purely lineup based. Yeah, and matchups too. And then obviously yep. Alan Crabb, Rondé coming back, you know, obviously Karis Avert later down the line. It's going to be really cool to have a team filled with actual good NBA players where Kenny's going to have a lot of tough decisions. Just looking at the team stats, though, one area, you know, Memphis really took advantage of the Nets was uh, the Nets had 20 turnovers. They only had 13, but the Nets took advantage of them in the three-point area. 13 threes for the Nets, only five threes for the Grizzlies. Yeah, the Grizzlies don't play a lot of modern basketball. You know, if you want Kyle Anderson, Joe Kim Noah, these guys shooting threes, you just leave them open. I think Garrett Temp, it's, you'd be hard-pressed to find a guy who's a sharp shooter on the Memphis Grizzlies. And if you're in the NBA these days, you need at least one of them. So I, I think, you know, it sort of benefits the Nets in a sense because we are able to, you know, do what we do well. And if you're a good three-point shooting team, it's an extra point. Uh, obviously, at the same time, you know, you can go down in flames if you're missing a heap of them. But the Nets have a good enough, more well-rounded game and a more balanced game in terms of, you know, catch, Coach Kenny's been a little more lenient in the guys taking some mid-range twos and they're making them. So he's sort of, they're repaying that faith in a sense. But yeah, Memphis didn't play their best game. Uh, I was Obviously, you know, he still had those worries throughout the game because, you know, after that sort of scuffle with Omri Caspi and Garrett Temple, you expected them to be quite motivated and have a bit of a bounce back game, but the Nets were able to uh, do their own and, and hold them, hold them at bay. Yeah, uh, honestly, I was too. I thought, you know, the Grizzlies were going to come out with more energy, more intensity. They did at certain points, but not consistent enough for a team that just ended up having a fight in their locker room in the previous game. And you kind of mentioned this a little bit too. I felt like Jaron Jackson probably didn't get enough touches on the Memphis side. And Marcus Sol just doesn't necessarily look great out there. He doesn't look like the same Marcus Sol from a few years ago. 
Yeah, we didn't see a lot of two-man game between Conley and Gasol a heap, and that's normally one sort of area where I think the Nets can exploit them. You know, Marc Gasol has a very nice shot. Uh, Jaron Jackson is the guy who destroyed us in that earlier matchup in November. And um, a good night, too. 19 points, 9 of 15 from the field. He's a very talented player, you know, probably second in the Rookie of the Year race right now. So the fact that, you know, there were times where JB Big Staff choose to go to guys like Jermichael Green instead benefited us because uh, I, it, I think offensively those guys just don't have the talent that Jaron Jackson does. Not saying that he is, you know, Carl Anthony Tans or, if, of any stretch, but he is a, a very well-rounded player at this early stage of his career. Yeah, he could be something close to that down the line. I'm very high on him, but enough about the Grizzlies. We save that for you know the NBA out or JBT. But Jack, let's talk a little bit about an upcoming game in Chicago, and then talk about a little Nets news. What are your thoughts going to Chicago? Three thirty matchup on a Sunday. Do you feel pretty good? Chicago just lost in overtime to the Pacers. Yeah, I mean, I would have rather them had the win because you know psychologically you always have that sort of aspect. Hopefully, Jim Boylan's making them doing a couple of push-ups after this one or something. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he's just a, he's a weird coach. I just don't understand the way that they play. They play very odd basketball under him. You know, the very slow post-up sort of game. So hopefully that benefits us. Um, you know, the second round picks or whatever that trade, um, whatever you want to call about it, Marshawn Brooks. He's a he's a decent enough player, former net, I guess. So he's coming up against his former team. But I, I don't, don't think he's going to play for them. I mean, yeah, we'll have to wait and see, see, um, because uh, I think the same with Justin Holiday tonight. He wasn't able to to suit up for his new team, so it, it's it's odd that we are coming up and, and sort of fortu- fortuitous um, that we are coming up against a team that has made a trade, because so, it sort of uh, helps you out a little bit. But they do have talent on on, on all lines, you know, guys like Zach Levine, Wendell Carter, Larry Markinen. These guys can get you uh, if you're not engaged. And despite the fact that Wendell Carter has been sort of in the bad graces of Coach Boylan, I don't know why, because he is a, a similar sort of vein to a Jaron Jackson to me. But um, And Jabari Parker got some minutes tonight. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, you saw that one shot he took? I did not, and I'm not going to look it up because let's hope he gets some more minutes and hope um, <laughs> it, it might help us out. Um, but at the same time, you know, in, against any team in the NBA, you know, be it, you know, Chicago, Cleveland, New York, you've got to have your game on because um, if you're not engaged enough, then you could get your pants uh, taken down. Yeah, exactly. They need to come in here engaged. Maybe they have to grind it out like they did last time in Chicago. They weren't necessarily knocking down shots. So it's going to be another, you know, smaller test for them, but it would be a nice win to kind of continue that momentum in 2019. Jack, talking to other topics, there was some news about Isaiah Whitehead. you want to bring that up? Yeah, so um, Nicholas Letourneau of Nets Republic, our friend who did the previous series with us, as is uh, a former guest on the show, Brian Fonseca, was told that a league source uh, says that Isaiah Whitehead is currently getting interest from multiple NBA teams. Uh, Whitehead has been in Russia this season and hopes to make an NBA return in the future per his source. Our boy, Brian Fonseca, we've got to figure out what his sources are, see if he can uh, hit us up with some of them. But at the same time, Isaiah Whitehead, I think the post from Nick, uh, Nicholas uh, was that he was saying, you know, he had an Insta post that was sort of geotagged to New York, that he might be in the country, that he could be linked to a G League team of, or, of some sort. So, I mean, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But uh, we've been a big fan of Isaiah Whitehead, a really great Brooklyn guy. Um, so we thought we'd bring up the news. But does this mean anything to you, Nick? Do you th- think that he could add some value to a team uh, right now before the trade deadline hits or, you know, teams that are wanting to add a little bit of depth to their uh, point guard and backcourt rosters? 
Yeah, I think he wouldn't be a great fit on the Nets, but across the league, I think he's a guy you don't mind having on the team. You know, brings some toughness, brings some energy, can do a little bit of scoring out there. You know, it'll be interesting to see how consistent he is now, getting some more experience in Russia, like you mentioned. So I think there's a real possibility he can end up on an NBA team. And if not a playoff team, he could end up on maybe one of these younger developing teams, maybe seeing if they could take a flyer on him and he could develop into a backup point guard. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him on an Atlanta, even on a Washington with John Wall out for the season. Cleveland, yeah, like you mentioned, um, I think the Knicks have plenty of point guards, so maybe maybe not them. Uh, you know, maybe the Phoenix Suns, who are obviously um, looking for their point guard in the future. I don't think Isaiah Whitehead is the answer, but he does have some talent. Um, so, you know, and even Memphis to a lesser extent, I think as a backup guard, I know they've got Javon Carter as well. Isaiah Whitehead could be with the Flyer. Um, the Pelicans as well need to add some depth to their roster. I think they could do worse than a guy like Isaiah Whitehead. So we'll certainly be watching this space to see where he lands. And um, we will let you guys know uh, when we are recording if he does land somewhere. Yeah, definitely be nice for him. He seems like a great guy, does a lot for the community, very well liked. But Jack, we do have to mention, like you touched on early in the show, the Nets are currently in the eighth seed right now. Are you building more confidence every game moving forward and the Nets are going to make the playoffs? I mean, you have to, Nick, because there's these other teams that just aren't, you know, that are just faltering around us, be they the Orlando Magic, the Charlotte Hornets, those sort of guys. The only sort of team that is building momentum is, is a team like the Miami Heat. And 538's current projections have the Miami Heat a 70% chance of making the playoffs. The Nets have a 49% chance of making the playoffs. I think the last time that we sort of revisited that, it was around the 40 mark. So, you know, it's 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 getting nice. And that number 49% is sort of, a pretty handy number. You know, the Hornets are at 56%. I think if they continue to falter, and with Jeremy Lamb and Cody Zeller out, like you mentioned, I think that our number could improve past that 50-50 um, mark. Yeah, and it'd be nice to see the Nets back at 500 this late in the season, something we haven't seen in quite some time. Definitely. It's been a, a long time and something we didn't necessarily thought we would uh, see, especially over that uh, extended losing streak. Yeah, and especially when Levert got, you know, went down, I think there was a lost a lot of hope for the team, but they've really turned the corner. And one thing they've done, and this is not necessarily you always see a ton, because you see deep teams in the NBA, but they can't necessarily put it together. The Nets coaching staff, front office, the collaboration and the players, all kind of fitting into the roles and working together to win games. You know, so many games, it's not just one guy, you know, dropping 40 points or having huge games like we saw James Harden against Golden State. It's a team effort. Yeah, and I think that's what's going to be required for the rest of the season. And I think it's going to be a, a challenge for Coach Kane to integrate all these guys when uh, they are fit and healthy because the Nets, um, the Nets uh, rotation right now is 10 deep with the addition of Trevion Graham. You get Rodion's, uh, not Rodion's, you get Rondo Hollis-Jefferson back, you know, from his adductor strain soon enough. Obviously, you know, it'll probably be a couple of weeks for him. Uh, Alan Crabbe's still a couple of weeks away, but both of those guys are rotation players in the Nets system. And, you know, um, Coach Kenny is going to play 12 players. And then you add in Karis LeVert for whenever he returns. Obviously, we haven't heard any news on him or else uh, Nick would have brought that up uh, in his sleep and probably talk about it to his fiance and probably told me and on his Twitter fingers in the DMs. But we will obviously be watching that as well. So, you know, the Nets have 13 guys uh, that are ready-made, you know, NBA rotation players. So it's going to be a challenge for Coach Kenny, but he's um, come up against plenty already this season and he's sort of, you know, exceeded them. So we'll have to wait and see uh, how it all plays out, but it's one to watch.
Yeah, and it's you know he probably feels pretty good about it considering his first season he probably had a limited amount of actual NBA players on the roster. So having a team where he has to make hard decisions and there's going to be injuries. You know, there's always injuries throughout the season. So having this depth is huge. They don't have to call up a two-way player or a G League guy to play big minutes or something like they have in the past. So just a good feeling and just overall confidence for the team winning in the franchise. And it's nice to get some more of the media attention as well. Definitely. Nick, if that does happen, obviously 13 players, it just doesn't fit. Could you see a guy like Damari Carroll, who is probably, you know, certainly rebuilding his trade value, get traded for, you know, some sort of package, be it to a team like Detroit or maybe not Detroit because that's a team that you sort of got to be battling with, but a team like Houston in the, in the Western Conference or just some other teams that are looking for bodies and three-point shooters and guys that can play a little bit of defense? Yeah, I think it's a possibility. I don't know. It's really tough. And I know there's a lot of talk about Damari being bought out or traded this offseason. It's really tough to gauge because there is a relationship between him and Kenny and for what Damari's done for the franchise in terms of helping with the culture. I think he's been a big piece last season helping them win games. So I don't know if they look to trade him, maybe be somebody else who's not getting as many minutes. I think ideally if they do make a trade and it's bring another player in, it's a two-for-one situation or they're picking up an asset for the future. Yeah, I see it as less likely because we we sort of, like you mentioned, the sort of uh, goodwill that has been garnered by Sean Marks, the coaches and everyone else. You know, we just saw it with Alan Williams in terms of letting him go uh, to go to China and, and earn a, a, a little bit of cash. You know, I think that if, if, you know, any offers were to be made available, I think Damari would almost be sort of one that's, you know, a, an exception to the rule where they would sort of go to him you know, do you want this to happen? You know, it might mean more minutes. It might mean a better package for us. You know, we might not be able to fit you in our rotation as much anymore. I think that that might happen. And it's not necessarily, you know, the the most normal thing to happen in front offices, the whole sort of thing. The NBA is a business. But I think there are exceptions to the rule. And Damari Carroll could be that. Obviously, I'm not in the front office, but it's just the vibe that I get uh, as an outsider looking in. Yeah, it definitely feels like there is some great relationship between him and the front office and Kenny and the coaching staff. And like I said, it could be some of the other guys on the team. You know, we don't really know who's going to have value, who's going to have interest. You know, maybe somebody's calling for Shabazz when Karis LeVert's back and he's not getting as many minutes or something they kind of have to gauge. So it's going to be interesting trade deadline. The Nets are always brought up, it seems like, in a ton of rumors. We don't really know if any of them are true. Like Jack said, we don't have ties to the front office, but we'll definitely keep our ears open. Definitely. Uh, ears and eyes. And while I'm here, I'll be watching for Sean Marks walking around Brooklyn or something. Um, might have to catch the L train down there, being the fact that apparently that's been a whole thing here and it's been trending on Twitter. But L train apparently is open, ladies and gentlemen. Um, don't know what that really means. Uh, I sort of know that you have to catch that. Brooklyn news. <laughs> um, I'm, I mean, I might as well get me as a reporter, get me as a field reporter out here, ladies and gentlemen. Got my uh, mini mic that I bought off Amazon. Might have to bring it down, down to Stanford as well. But um, it, it's... I'm, I'm enjoying being in the suit. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it definitely. It's a ton of fun out there. It was great to see Jack at the game. And like Jack mentioned on Twitter earlier, we're going to be at the Hawks game on Wednesday. So be sure to look out for us. We met our fan, uh, D-Rock, the other night. Great guy. Really fun talking Nets in New York with him. I mean, it's 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 sort of really weird to sort of see worlds collide in that sort of sense, Nick. And it sort of hits, it hits home, you know, these sort of real-world moments, these real-life moments. It, they're, they're things you sort of savor, and they're sort of memories that will be formed forever. And, you know, this thing that we sort of started a couple of years ago, not to get all sentimental and sappy, <laughs> but we never saw, you know, guys sort of being able to come up to us and sort of ask them just to chat some nets. You know, that's what life's about, sort of just connecting in those weird little moments. And uh, it was a really fun experience. Yeah. 100%. Barclays was a ton of fun. We look forward to 
to seeing you guys in the future. Jack, any last thoughts before we get out of here? Let's till next till I die, Nicholas. That eighth seed is within reach, and I'm going to be dreaming about it. Yeah, you're going to have to probably make a second trip back to the United States for the playoffs. But just keep that in mind for your bank account, too. But oh, that's it up for today. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Jack, always a pleasure. Check us out iTunes, Black Rock Radio, OTTBasketball.com, uh, NetsRepublic.com, YouTube, and Dash Radio. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.